Is this the real life? Is this, Is this just this fantasy? Yeah. And then in the rest of the development style, eight minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to 90% Bits. It is Casey Atkins here, um, introducing you to uh, a bit of a different episode of 90% Hits. If this is your first episode of 90% Hits that you are listening to, um, I recommend that you don't listen to this one and you go and find one of the other ones. Um, what uh, what we've done here is put together some of the things that didn't make it into the normal episodes. Um, for those of you who listen to um, our podcast or have heard it before, um, we all put out about an hour to 75 minutes uh, every week, uh, but we record anywhere up to two hours worth of um, worth of material. Some gets cut for time, some stuff we just basically stuff up and have to start again, and we decided to put together a little episode uh, worth of material of, of those cut-out bits just for your enjoyment. So listen and enjoy. I hope everything in there makes sense uh, out of context. Just so you know, um, the time in there that we're talking about uh, record companies and um, and royalties and contracts and things like that came off the conversation about Prince um, when we were talking about the most beautiful girl in the world. And this happens occasionally where we'll just fall into a conversation that's absolutely nothing to do with the song. Um, and we might cut it out just because it's got not a lot of relevance to the episode, but we do hang on to this stuff. So hopefully it all uh, makes sense and hopefully uh, you enjoy. Sorry, I'm just thinking of, sorry, you can cut this out. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. But like, <laughs> for some reason I just started thinking of, I don't have enough guns, let alone a gun to <laughs> Many guns to necessitate an entire rash. Oh, God. Just don't get me started on my talk parts. We'll be here all Yeah. Yeah. Let's backtrack. Let's rewind. So, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> well, if the Terminator Stephanie came into the movie Seymour. and killed her, that would have been awesome, but it didn't happen. Stephanie Seymour was Sarah Connor. <laughs> well, it makes sense to me now. Yes. Um, uh, well, I think the video is brilliant. But let's talk about Guns N' Roses. I mean, we haven't... They are, God, just one of the biggest bands in the world throughout the 90s, if not even to this day, because they still headline massive festivals. Some of them do. And one of them does. <laughs> yeah, one of them does. And they had such a short career and such a small number of hits. It's amazing for me that when you look at Guns N' Roses' greatest hits, which was a contractual obligation mm. release. I think it's like 14, well, less, I think there's like 12 songs in which there's five covers. Yeah. You know, they did like mm. Live and Let Die, Knocking on Heaven's Door, that song from the Spaghetti Incident. Oh, the, um, Since I Don't Have You. I Don't Have You. Yeah. Which I like did, better um, than November Rain, thank you very did, much. The Rolling Stones as well. <laughs> they did Rolling Stones. Um, Skywinners. Uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah. So Which is a fucking awful and, version of that song. <laughs> well, maybe Tim Byron, then, how do you, if you didn't like November Rain, what, how do you feel about Guns N' Roses in general? So the, the one single that I bought from um, the Use Your Illusion era of Guns N' Roses that I actually bought with my own money was Live and Let Die. I, I remember buying mm. it and thinking, I'm so cool. I bought like a Guns N' Roses <laughs> song. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, of course it's, and of course the, the, the song I bought that was like, you know, wow, was for me, it was like, yeah, it's a Wings cover of all things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a brilliant song though. Yeah, it was an incredible um, song. And um, it's a great, I think it's a good version of it in terms of like, it really brings out the kind of, the harsh, like the sort of the hard rockness of the song in a way that Paul McCartney can't, but 
Yeah. He brings so, out the die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, Axel has a great voice and just the way he sings stuff and that, that kind of like whatever that sound it is in his voice that he can sing anything and it kind of sounds cool. Well, it's that very metal cut, getting the cut kind of thing. Yeah. Just getting that very trebly um, thing and, yeah, just having that very the kind of the hillbilly redneck accent thing just comes through and <laughs> works for him a lot of the time. Some of the times it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, did it, was there anything else before Usual Illusion? I mean, you must have heard Sweet Child of Mine. Um, oh, I remember my mum, like, would say reasonably, like, when Guns N' Roses were brought up, my mum would say, I really like Patience. <laughs> so, so oh, my oh, mum liked Patience by Guns N' Roses, so I never really liked that one. Paradise City and Sweet Child of Mine are nice and stuff, but, yeah, I never really kind of warmed to that warmed to that early stuff. I was a bit too young for that to be there at the time. So, the stuff that I have the most um, feeling for is the Use Your Illusion stuff. Like, You Could Be Mine is a great song. I, I really like that one. And I like um, Live and Let Die. Um, Since I Don't Have You, I quite like as well. Uh, but, yeah, not November Rain. Tim Coyle, Guns N' Roses. Well, it's, they became symbolic of everything that grunge was blowing away um, in in the early nineties. They were just held up as kind of the very much the symbolic dinosaurs of rock and roll and that ac- excessive LA kind of thing. And look, I, as I said, I wasn't actually that big a fan. I quite like Sweet Child of Mine and I quite like Patience, which gives you a fair indication of where my tastes lie. I like the ballads. Um, and Guns N' Roses actually did quite a few good ones. But, yeah, generally the the, the whole metal thing that, that they were doing, I, I just wasn't, wasn't into. And... Yeah, as, as much as uh, I, I love this song, I didn't really get them beyond this. And, yeah, it was kind of a welcome development when they were just seen as being completely uncool and past it one year after this this song was released. Yeah, right. Um, but they had a career before that. I mean, well, oh, yeah, they're definitely. Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, you know, did you? I, I love Sweet Child of, Child of Mine. But it, it wasn't necessarily indicative of who they were. I think maybe Paradise City is, which is a song I don't particularly like and didn't particularly like. So, yeah, uh, and Appetite for Destruction, I just, yeah, I didn't really get it outside of the one or two songs. Mm. So, yeah, just wasn't a big fan. And beyond this song, I was kind of happy to see them fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and, Atkins and fall apart they did I have a slightly oh, yeah. different question for you yes how many songs had you learned on guitar before you learned the riff to Sweet Child of Mine quite a few actually it was really? a little bit later when I actually learned Sweet Child of Mine I think I was probably um, it's usually in people's first 50 or so riffs that they learned isn't it yeah I was probably 15 or 16 or something before I could be bothered figuring out Sweet Child of Mine, which was funny because I liked um, Guns N' Roses a lot and I, I I remember spending more time figuring out, like, the exact stroke, string strokes um, on Slash's introduction to Knocking on Heaven's Door and, oh and like, pouring over that 
more and the solo to that as well mm. um, than I than I did over Sweet Child of Mine, which I eventually learned as a bit of a more as a bit of a tick box exercise, really. Yeah, right. Right. I, 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 I certainly knew Still Out of Heaven before I knew Sweet Child of Mine. Um, but yeah, I like Guns N' Roses. There was a time uh, in my life that I definitely probably would have called Guns N' Roses my favourite band, actually. It probably didn't last very long, maybe only a year. Um, uh, that I remember the video clip for, which w- was the official video for Knocking on Heaven's Door, which was a live thing, um, mm. where they mm. did the little part from Only Women Bleed by Alice Cooper before he went, um, before Slash went into the intro. Does anybody remember that part to it? I wouldn't have mm. recognised it at the time. I didn't recognise it at the time. It was one of those things that um, I think I heard Only Women Bleed like uh you know, a year later and went, oh, that's that thing that blah, blah, blah. And it was possibly maybe the first time that I'd seen one of those guitars that I, you know, like double guitar. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I like, I like Guns N' Roses and I loved You Could Be Mine and I loved um, Live and Let Die and uh, Patience and Yesterday's. My other big Guns N' Roses memory is... Oh man, so much wasted money in a video arcade in Tamworth playing the Guns N' Roses pinball machine. Was that Megaphone? It was at Megaphone. <laughs> the Guns N' Roses pinball machine. Uh, myself and another mate uh, just went through like oh, hundreds and hundreds what, of What dollars. was in the machine? Did it play the music, obviously? It played the music. Um, there was a, a G ramp and an R ramp. Um, there was, and, and if you got it up the G ramp, November Rain would begin from the start. Honestly, I was getting I was getting replays on that fucking machine. Like I played that a lot. And you'd get, you know, it was like you'd get each of the band members, and you know, so you'd get Matt, and it'd work up its way. <laughs> it'd start with Matt, and then Gilby, and then Duff, and then Slash, and then Axel, and it was funny. What if you were completely inept, and the ball went straight down in, into the gutter? It's like you are easy. <laughs> well, oh, you're out. <laughs> oh, that, and that was the other thing too—the uh, the ball release thing. Like the, it wasn't a, a pool. You know the pull trigger spring thing. It was a. It was actual a gun. It was a gun. Right. They pulled the trigger on, and that was it. I love Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Like looking at these songs, and I listen to uh, the Usual Illusion records at least quite a lot. And you know, Appetite for Destruction to some degree. And yeah, I mean, they were just. They were a rock band, but they were so melodic and so pop for me. And just looking at their list of singles. There's not one that I don't like up mm. until about the spaghetti incident. But since I don't have you, it was great. Um, Estranged, I remember staying up very early to watch the film clip of that because that was the end of the sequel that started with Don't Cry and November Rage. And I don't remember that song. Just looking at that. through the streets yeah. and it was equally as overblown but didn't do very well. For me, Patience is a high point and Paradise City is a high point. Mm. Paradise City is just so joyous. Yeah. And, it, I mean, I don't really talk about chord progressions that much, but the chord progression on that is very interesting. Yeah. It just, it's a G to an F, um, and which doesn't normally happen, and it just, it's such tension, and and then he starts picking the chords, and then little, 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 and it just, it's fantastic. It's a, 
Yeah, so this band means a lot to me. Those songs are great, and I love all the film clips. And I went out and bought Chinese Democracy in about oh. 90 minutes of it being on sale. Really? Yeah, I went to H. I went to HMB on Oxford Street in London the day it came out. I went late to work to buy it, <laughs> and it was out of. By then, it was seventy percent more curiosity. Yeah, mm. but just wanting to be there to see. I just wanted to buy it to be the one of the people who did buy. It. It's like yeah, like let's see what this was and. Oh my god, was that a dog of a record? <laughs> and t- did, it, did, it, did you guys even hear it? Yeah. No. So, I, I, I had the Supreme Pistol Machine, yes. <laughs> really? I just decided, you know, I had a streaming service. So I was like, oh, well, no, <laughs> Chinese democracy. I, I don't have to pay for it. Because but... I did a song on that Arnold Schwarzenegger film, End of Days, like in <laughs> 1999 or maybe 2000. That was. Who played on that? Yeah, that's the thing. It was it was only it was still only at that point, uh-huh. and it sounded more like Limp Biscuit than anything else. Yeah, and that's kind of what Chinese Democracy ended up sounding like. It was just that uh, treated guitar, and it really over the years, you know, I just sort of went, oh, fine, and maybe if Guns N' Roses toured, I might go see them. But it's it was when Chinese Democracy came out that I realised, oh yeah, this band is really some of its parts. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, but it's not even people. It's not even like you've got a young guitar player that plays like Slash to do the Slash parts. Mm. Like it just has a different band. The I thing I remember. The thing I remember is I saw um, a live kind of thing on Foxtel when I was at JD's dad's one one point uh, where they were playing in Brazil or something like that. It was just like a live sort of footage of some festival. Yeah. And I remember looking at Axel and thinking, really. Is that actually Axl Rose? I, I spent half the time yeah. looking at it thinking, is that like a an impersonator or something? Because it just didn't look like <laughs> yeah. him because he's had so much kind of, um, you know, surgery or, or something like that that he just doesn't look the same anymore. And he's got the corns in his hair that makes him look like songs in A minor era Alicia Keys. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just, he looks terrible. But you, we all know who his bass player is, right? Who is his bass player? Tommy Stinson from The Replacements. Mm. Oh really? Really? Is Buckethead still in the band? Blue written for no. Buckethead bailed. (laughs) 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 He he was uh, he was a fairly short lived um, inclusion in that that situation. situation. (laughs) Buckethead just went, you know. You guys just don't have the artistic intensity. <laughs> He's like, Buckethead's going, no, this is lame. This, this is just a joke. I can't be associated with such crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, um, yeah, moving it's on, I think. It's uh, okay, well, let's move on to our... Let's see that I, Okay, just personally, I'm sick of saying okay before I say this and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you and Tim Coyle has to stop saying in so far as. <laughs> really? Oh, 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 nice. What, what have I got? I'm gonna stop saying um. That's what I can yeah. now. Right. Um in so far as no, no, Maybe that's the thing that he he won't do. Yeah, I kind of alluded to the extra layer of meaning in the video clip, the Michael Bay video clip, and it's kind of because it's a beauty and the beast. 
thing going on. That kid would do anything for love. That is this this, this shut in who was shunned by society, and he would, he would do anything for a little bit of human closeness. Uh, and that's kind of the angle that's played up there, which is totally at odds with the song. And yeah, the, the amusing thing of the, the tender moment is when the model, who I think is Dana Patrick, uh, touches his face and he changes from beast to meatloaf. Oh, yes, that's awesome. He changes from a beast to meatloaf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's something pretty funny about that. Vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> so, whether there was an improvement, that's just kind of... It's been 16 years since anyone saw him. So. Anyway, anyway there's, a, there's a moment she touches his face. That is the line of sooner or later, you'll be screwing around. <laughs> that, that is kind of the, 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 the tender moment. <laughs> Okay, guys, we're running out of time, but I think we can let these drift a little bit longer, right, because we are doing that. So 15 minutes isn't too bad. It's uh, in proportion to the song. Well, no. <laughs> but also... Let's face it, we're not going to have much to say about Culture yeah, yeah. Beat. So I guess I do want... Okay. So just before we finish, I, let's... I wouldn't, I wouldn't surprise... Nothing would surprise me. Yeah. Uh, so just <laughs> before we move on from Meatloaf, let's just go around the room and just... It's a seminal album. How do we quickly all feel about Bad Out of Hell? I uh, I like the song "Bad Out of Hell." That's fine. I don't know if I've ever heard the album start. To really? Finish. No. Well, really? Classic, yeah. Top one hundred albums of all time. Yeah. Paradise by the Bash- Dashboard Light. And... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Some pieces from it, of course, but yeah, interesting. Tim Coyle. I like it. Yeah. I, I really love <laughs> Paradise by the Dashboard Light, and yeah, that's a, that's the thing. It's it's kind of the the second album and this song are just. Yeah. kind of tipping it over the edge into complete insanity instead of just slight insanity. <laughs> and it's like, it's called Bat Out of Hell 2, Back into Hell. You weren't kidding, Jim Steinman. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I love this album too. I love it so much. But um, it's that thing that uh, Chris Craig Finn from The Hold Steady said in an interview once where he basically said, I, what I thought sex was growing up was Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That's just what he thought would happen to him. That's how he would lose his dignity in the way of that song. And finally, Tim Byron, how do you feel about it? I like Bat Out of Hell more than any Springsteen album apart from Nebraska. See? Now, I was going to bring this up, and the reason I want to bring this up is when I first met you, you said you hated Bruce Springsteen. And one of your reasons was because it sounds like fucking meatloaf. And actually play on that out of hell. Which is my exact reaction because I was with our a friend of the podcast, Tom, and we just went, uh, they play on that regular To which you went, well, that makes sense. So I'm glad that over the years you've softened a little bit on both Springsteen for two albums at least and meatloaf. Um, yeah. That's great. Two albums. <laughs> oh, did you say two? You said Nebraska or something else? No, just one. Nebraska. I just said Nebraska. But yeah. I have softened on Springsteen, I have to say. Yeah. I just don't think he's as great as Tim Coyle or the rest of you do, but yeah, he's all right. Meatloaf, however. Awesome. <laughs> 90 percent <laughs> hits. <laughs> Laura, please let us know what you think. <laughs> we should, and, and I've been thinking about this, we are going to start some polls in the blog. This one will have yeah. two options, but we'll <laughs> we can go, go back. Oh, and what, and what is that? Oh, the one <laughs> I... <laughs> Mary. But the other one I really want to do is, who was the hot one from Girlfriend? <laughs> I want to get a definitive answer from Australian public. Boom Shake the Room by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. 
Well, here I go. Here I go. No, wait, that's the wrong song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I kept I doing that this week as well. <laughs> they have pretty similar tempos. Yeah. Rhythms. Racist. Ah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> sound the same don't they <laughs> someone someone asked at work what was that movie that Oprah was in oh, with the no. colour purple and I said Precious it <laughs> 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 was like on a MTV awards or something of Weird Al singing this with the crash test that's <laughs> 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 great yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going yeah. on the top like. oh yeah oh. Mm. so yeah that was pretty cool that was a that was a good find well, so we'll find that one that's that's great on their behalf yeah absolutely yeah just yeah. Really good oh, sports yeah I, I think it's the measure of, of a man of yes. how well you take a Weird Al parody like yes. the famous examples of people not liking it are all douchebags. Yeah. You know, but then like someone like Kirk Cobain just thought that that was the greatest thing that ever happened to his career. <laughs> well, the funny thing about the um, Nirvana one especially is that, I mean, I know we're not talking about, this is not a podcast about Weird Al and if you let me uh, <laughs> make it a podcast about Weird Al, I'll take it. But well, yeah, oh, these are the uses extras. So. Yeah. But um, the one about Nirvana is one of the few Weird Al parodies where he actually goes at the band. So um, most of his... It's not like Nirvana, yeah. 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 So most of the Weird Al parodies are not actually referencing the song. They're about food. They're about food or they're about... um, Like there's a great one with... um, Possibly my favourite one is uh, when he does One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies and he makes it about the Jerry Springer show. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And and so and this one is headline news. So there's no, there's no references to the band. He doesn't actually take the piss out of the, the band themselves in any way, except for that Nirvana one. Mm. And there you go. Mm. Great to hear. But but that one was big. The Nirvana one was because uh, Kurt Cobain told him uh, that he would allow the parody as long as it wasn't about food. Seriously, yeah. But I love the line in in that uh, Nirvana one. Like they're a rock band from Seattle. Hey, it, ba- it beats raising cattle. Raising cattle. Yeah. Well, Weird Al is, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have an excuse to talk more about Weird Al. Excellent. I think. Brilliant. But, um, yeah. If we're going to talk about favourite Weird Al songs, um, oh. just quickly, uh, is it called A Saga Begins? Oh, the, um, the, Star, Wars the one? Star Wars one. Yeah. The American Pie one. Yeah. 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 And uh, Gump. Yeah. Yeah. Gump is just the most brilliant in terms of like the craft of it in t- putting a song and a and a, yeah. a topic you know matter together. It's 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 President of the United States love, but enough for us Gump. <laughs> Gump sat alone <laughs> on a bench in the park. <laughs> <laughs> just, My name is Forrest. He casually remarked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Genius. He said, "Life is like a box of chocolates. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> What's in his head?" head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the other one that we've actually talked about before as well the um, the bedrock anthem or what yeah, yeah, yeah. where he does bedrock both, anthem, yeah, bedrock anthem where he does both yeah. under the bridge and give Bed- it away, and he's like, "Yeah, but dabba 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 do." Baby elephant vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, which makes about as much sense as the actual song. Yeah, totally. Uh, and just quickly, I guess, do we, does anyone, I guess we're all not huge fans of the Crash Test Dummies as a band. Do we know anything else about them since this song? Uh, don't, no, I was about to say, I went to uni with a guy who was like Crash Test Dummies' greatest fan. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, was he Canadian? So, no, he was not Canadian. Because <laughs> they was apparently cool. had like a proper career in Canada. They, they continue to do so, I believe. Oh, are they like 
Um, Tom Cochran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like colonels at the Air Force. <laughs> I think they're more like a bit like um, Ace of Base, you know, like they've just still got a following and they can still... What, they were ex-neo-Nazis. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I meant. Um, <laughs> once there was this... <laughs> Hello, the all our Canadian listeners. <laughs> but like, um, shaved his head and spent his time ridiculing Jews. <laughs> and when he was in a pop band, he realized that he really should apologize. <laughs> this reminds me of Hitler. Was it? Is it called Hitler at Christmas? The Alex Chilton song that is recorded and is written about. And the producer who has the master tape basically goes, I can never release this or I will be killed. <laughs> yes, let's never talk about this again. Um, 90% hits. And uh, yeah. performed it. I mean, that was a direct thing about not being able to get his early fights back. And yeah, it was a good negotiation tactic because he still hasn't got it and the ones <laughs> will never give it back to him now. So well done. Um is that how record companies work? That like if you try and fuck with them in public, they're just going to never forgive you? No, it's well, it's like a, the mafia. It's the thing of <laughs> it's the thing of ah, uh, you like it's the music in, like music industry. It's just people, right? You've got to kill people with kindness. If you play hardball and you go out in the press and say you deserve it, someone's going to say show you a contract that said no, we deserve it. You signed this contract. Your move. You know. So sometimes the record company would do that anyway. Well, and, like, you know, you work at university. What you come up with in intellectual property isn't yours. If you yeah. come up with it, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing. And also they paid for those recordings. If you, if you want to get it back, there's thousands of people who've done it and they just went, yeah, we'll give you money for it mm-hmm. <laughs> or something, you know. He had more than but, money I mean, well. it's, it's funny when, like, record, like, when you, they do get the um, the rights back, because very often they won't actually put out the music. It would just sit, sit in a, a pile somewhere not being used. And so, like, you know, there's stuff that's not on Spotify, just mm-hmm. not on, you know, you can't buy it even if you wanted to. It's not on iTunes. It's not on Spotify just because the record, uh, you know, the, the rights are in the hands of the artist and the artist doesn't have the time or ability to put it out there. Oh, yeah, well, that's that's, yeah. Again, we're drifting far off topic, are we? I, I, think that, I thought that was really good. Oh, okay. Really interesting. Um, well, yeah. well, for me, yeah, that's one of the reasons that what labels were turned into because to, to... And it's one of the reasons always labels been there because, what, artists weren't going to sit around melting plastic to make their own jewel cases. Like, <laughs> you know, back in the day, like, you always need someone to help you. And there is, there is I think, an idea out there that... It's better than ever to just go on your own, but it's the real fact is, even someone who's completely independent, be it OK Go or Radiohead or whatever, um, have a team around them. They just don't work for a record company. They work for the record company of mm. that artist. Uh, and they have people sort of, you know, coming back to Prince, one of, one of the things that Prince does really, really well, rightly or wrongly does it really, really well, is pulling down Prince videos off YouTube. Um, and... Uh, I work for a, a company that sponsored the last Prince tour. We put up, uh, we had completely approved the tracks that we're going to use for the TV ad for when Prince was in town, put it up on YouTube, and an hour later it got pulled down by a complaint from someone in Prince's camp. And, you know, wow. because not allowed to have his music on YouTube. And so you can't protect yourself from all the different things that are out there unless someone helps you. Mm. 
Ironically, yeah. however, the only way that I was able to listen to the song this week was on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, probably through his channel monetized properly. Right. But you can't just put your, your own sure. version up and whatever. Yeah. So. Right. Um, but yeah. But I guess, I guess, like, with stuff like, seeing we're just on this topic and let's just see what happens, like, the other thing with the record labels, I think, is that if you are an OK Go or or in Radiohead or one of those bands that have um, gone out and done it themselves, most of the time they've had like five or ten years of publicity from the record labels in the first place that's given them a name and got them, you know, to be at the stage where people know who they are so that when they put something new out that, you know, it doesn't just get like lost with every other indie band that puts out records like the indie bands we were in. Yeah. Well, they've got a decent bargaining position from, as you say, years of having worked at and, yeah, they're not coming into a cold. But they've got an audience already, I think yeah, that's the point exactly. that Tim's yeah. making. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And something to leverage with. Yeah. There was an idea that was floating around maybe five years ago that was quite interesting where um, a few music executives were trying to, um, and they're quite young, try to do a different model. And they were going to almost, the, the, be- the best way of explaining it, the way they got around to explain it in the end was taking shares in a band. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get a promoter, you get a record company, you get a publisher, and you all take points. And so you can go to whatever <coughs> label you want, but then you have so much investment up front that they'll always just take a little bit off the business of that band. Mm. So the idea of that is that if you take Radiohead as an example, then Radiohead would own 51% share of their own business and have all the business decisions and have more ownership of their rights than they do now in their catalogue, which is zero, mm. right? Mm. Uh, they will earn more money in those early years, like directly into their pocket. But the thing is EMI and their original promoter and their original publisher or whatever would continue to earn points of Radiohead up until now. So it's it's more, so it helps bands up front and it kind of helps bands survive up front. We, a lot of the bands that we talked about in the 90s, like, did so well but was so expensive to market, like, say, Solace Asylum or Blind Melon stuff, that they probably didn't recoup and then ended up working back at real estate agents. Mm. In this model, they would have actually made more money and then actually have more control of their career. But you give up ever becoming independent because EMI will always take yeah. a slice, even if it's just 1%. Um, I thought it was a really interesting model and it definitely... It's like treating musicians like a film. You know, mm. DC Comics are always going to take a slice of Superman films. Sure. The, pro- the director of that film is always going to take a slice of it, no matter how. Yeah, so, yeah, treating a band almost like a song with royalties. If you break mm. them and stuff, which... But that's how um, that's how producers' points work as well. Like, yeah. So record producers yeah. have always had that sort of um, uh, model going mm. on as well. Yeah. So, um, but this is you the know, point. Butch V made a lot more than his initial fee out mm. of Nevermind. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. But this is the point where Butch Vig, if, if Nirvana was still around releasing an album, because Butch Vig did that album on a much lesser scale, mm. it took lesser points up front, but that, those, but no matter where you go and what album you make next, Butch Vig will still take a cut. Yeah. That's where it gets complicated, because yeah. why do you deserve it? But we're all sitting here going, and that thing, which is just nebulous and a lot of bands won't agree to, is like, hey, if it wasn't for yeah, but the millions of dollar investment up front, you wouldn't even have this career. Yeah, but you would argue also that it's contributed to the goodwill that's given them a name and yeah, exactly. given them their audience. So yeah, yeah, exactly. how do you quantify that? And these are the things that I think 
Prudes brought a lot of these issues up with his contractual mm. issues in the in the nineties. Thank you for mm. bringing it back around. Well, <laughs> Daddy, <laughs> what do you think of the most beautiful girl in the world? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to make a really nice sort of if we cut it out, maybe it'll go somewhere else one day. Yeah, maybe in like, yeah. You know, Easter egg in the outtakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just one thing before we get there. Um, I can see about a third of Tim Coyle's head, and I can't mostly can't see Danny when um, I lean back. Yeah, when you lean back. So just when you do move in, though, just be careful kicking the microphone stand. That's the only thing to just yeah. be wary of. And, and an, another thing, perhaps, like if you could move the screen, like the the is that like on an iPad? Yeah, it's on a um, it's on a stand. It's on a little stand which I can't really change the angle of. Doesn't yeah, ninety degrees. Right, cool. Yeah. Because no, I'm seeing quite a lot of ceiling at the moment, but mm. oh well. It's a nice ceiling. Um, yes, I, it's mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's mine, I own it. It all its residual rights. <laughs> so that was the most beautiful girl in the world. Try again. Uh, and do we know anything about what happened to DJ Jazzy Jet? <laughs> he no. moved into blues. <laughs> <laughs> um, he became DJ uh, DJ Indie Jeff, and uh, <laughs> he just went nowhere. <laughs> he now has an impressive property portfolio. Oh, he's, he's just one of those. For me, he's just one of those names that just crops up on like guest things and stuff. Sometimes I think. I sometimes saw posters that maybe he was DJing in either London or New York or something like that uh, around. So he, I think his name is still there and there's still huge curiosity when it's DJ Jazzy Jeff. But, mm. yeah, I think he's still living off those MTV years, most definitely. Good on him. For, Appar- you know. Yeah. Apparently he's um, in post-Will Smith era, he became like a prominent uh, R&B soul producer and um, okay. helped develop with Jill Scott amongst other people. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Well, I'm not sure if there's anything else to say about Will Smith. Um, we'll post all these sort of... Is there, there going to be... Actually, well, is there going to be more coming up? Like, did any of those other big movie songs get to number one? Like, getting jiggy with yes, it and the, those the kind of things. The black. The many black songs. So, I, they're coming? I feel like discussing a couple of more lyrics from this song. <laughs> I think the lyrics are okay, interesting. Hold on, hold on. Because I want to cut what Casey said there because I don't want to give away what comes up. Okay. But, um, yeah. yeah. So, do you want to sort, sort of lead into that naturally, Tim? Yeah, no, there's, more, there's some interesting more, lyrics. More natural. Lead in more naturally. What are you doing? Just being Tim Byron, go. With, with such an F. Like, it's such like the Cockney accent of like, yeah. like let the love of like shine through because I, that reminds me that the, um, I should check what the scores are in the cricket at the moment. Don't mind me. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm gone now. What, what do you think? Re- okay. Clean re-entry and just, okay. <laughs> yeah, just a quick card job. Yes. Yeah. Just open this door again. <laughs> ah, this is kind of fair enough. Fun. We're going to be doing this a couple of times, this podcast, I suspect. It's going to be a the Well, there's lots of, <laughs> lots of Easter egg potential. A-R-S-E-H-O. L-E. A R S E H O L E. You have to do it with that rhythm. No, A- no, 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 no,
just that A is quite long. We're arguing about how to do the letters in our song. Or if if you pronounce the R with a very rotic kind of A-R-S. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's that band, um, so, so Doors. What's the Australian version of the rap? It's like, I'm going to get Don Bradman because he's been frozen. <laughs> David Boone. <laughs> no, you've you got to think of, I mean, it's, it's John Wayne. You've got to think of one of the biggest hypocrites in yeah. the yeah. history of the universe. I'm going to get Don Bradman and then I'm going to get Peter Weir. Menzies, Harold Holt. Richard Lowenstein and uh, Casey Atkins, what did you choose? Ladies and gentlemen, Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Life. (laughs) Etc. That was Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran, a song that chatted in 1992. That was Casey Atkins' pick for our Choose Your Own Adventure show here on 90% Hits. Um, and look, just 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 on that point as well, that Jennifer Rush version of the this song did get to number one in Australia as well, and it's the version I think um, I hear on radio sometimes. So, but maybe I'm mixing it up. I I'd be honest, I didn't really listen to the Celine Dion version that much this week either. So, uh, yeah, I wonder yeah. which one. So, tell us about the guy who produced this, Danny. David. Well, you mentioned him uh, a little bit earlier. He's the guy who took Chicago from being. Quite a quite a funky little fine band into if you leave me now. Well, the three greatest power ballads of all time. If you leave me now, you're the inspiration. And uh, hard to say I'm sorry. For me to say I'm sorry. Like he is the guy who does that to bands. <laughs> um, he is behind. Uh, God, what was his big records? I mean, I think I first discovered him when he did that Natalie Cole record. Unforgettable. Yeah. And then he does Strides and stuff. He's behind Josh Groban's success, Michael Bublé's success. And yeah, but Groban's unreal. <laughs> how many... Like, Groban is a fun guy and he's a cool guy, yeah. but, like, how many times do you listen to his records? How many hours? No, but I've listened to him interviewed on podcasts. So <laughs> <laughs> well, Foster can't ruin that. Look, he's not a... Like... There's just these legendary producers that radio, like that record company people go to, and, and I worked for Warner, so we went to friggin' the well of David Foster many times to enurize pop bands. Is <laughs> <laughs> the best way that I can put it. Was he responsible and, uh, for Enya as well? I don't think so. No, Enya is a, is a you know what? Enya is a, a very, very interesting story that I have spent a year exploring. And I will talk about that at some other point. That's but, a podcast um, unto itself. Yes. <laughs> the Enya years. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he and he does this. This is indicative of what he does, that really, really smooth, really sparse, really shiny uh, David Foster thing. And it just is terrible. When I look at a list of David Foster albums, they are kind of close to the list of the worst albums I can think of. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so 
fuck that guy. And, <laughs> and, and Celine Dion is probably his masterpiece. So, mm. but look, Celine, she gets to work with some definitely interesting characters as the years go on. And uh, we'll talk more about her. I don't know if anyone else got anything else to say about Celine. Apart from the fact that um, one of the first CDs I ever had was a Celine Dion CD, and I phrased that very carefully because um, when I bought, when I had my first CD player when I was 12, my mum worked for um, the local paper in Tamworth, and she got given a lot of stuff. And... Um, and there was like a CD going about that somebody could just, who wants this CD, they can take it home. And mum went, oh, Casey's just bought a CD player. He's only got two CDs. He probably wants another one. And, <laughs> put it home. and it, was, it was the self-titled Celine Dion album. So the one before this. <laughs> so I, I heard the self-titled Celine Dion album like in full probably a number of times because I owned it. Isn't that a strange thing? <laughs> that is. Was there a big change in sound between the self-titled debut and this? No. <laughs> Did that have um, Beauty and the Beast on it? Did she do that? Yep. Yep. Yes. Oh, it's the, her version of the song that was used in the film. Yeah. That Angela Lansbury did in the film. Uh-huh. Well, her version was the single, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. With Peebo Bryson. Angela Lansbury. Who had the awesome name Peebo. Peebo Bryson. <laughs> Angela Lansbury was the teapot and she sang it in the film. Huh? Do you not remember that? Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, this is weird because like we're obviously right at the end of the podcast and like the, the mood is just dead because we just had to talk about fucking Celine Dion for so long. <laughs> yeah. I think we've cut a lot. Can we just ago. can we just talk about um Celine Dion's rendering in South Park for a little while? I don't know Rock of Ages. You don't know what that is? Oh boy. It's, oh. it's the heavy metal musical with Russell Brand, Tom Cruise and Alec Baldwin. With songs by REO Speedwagon and Journey and stuff, done into like a Broadway musical. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where they. So it's about a small town girl stage who grew up living in a lonely world. world. Yeah. <laughs> she comes to New York to try to be a rock star. Took the midnight train. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I did see ads for that when I was in London, so. And it looked bad cut, then. Cut the black. Yeah. Shoot yourself and then be done. Um. <laughs> Sorry, where were we? Uh, four weddings. <laughs> four weddings in a funeral. So, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia for this song because of that film, and I, I really like the film. And, and uh, you know, if you are a Richard Curtis fan, then, you know, he's always got a good reputation of making interesting soundtracks for his films, uh, culminating in The Boat That Rocked, which is an amazing soundtrack. So, um, Terrible movie, though. I know. I <laughs> if, only the reins of, if only the reins of Castamere got to number one this year. What the whole Steve no. song? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the the oh, the um yeah the one from Game of Thrones that they were playing as the, yeah, the stuff happened. Stage. You've all seen it, right? <laughs> yes. No. That no. episode. Yeah. No. Well, no. Oh, I'm not uh, a Game of Thrones guy. I know. There's. Oh, no. the whole st- the whole study did a version. No, no. They, no, the National right. did Reigns of Castamere. Which Hold was the in yeah. Bear and the- Bear and the Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the right. I know the songs from Game of Thrones that are in the books, which my favorite bands have made recordings of, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Like, they talk about these songs and they have the lyrics in it. In the books. Yeah, in the books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. They've got the lyrics, but, the lyrics, but not the tunes. It's like almost like a pirate song or something about a woman who falls in love with 
a man, but then goes in the bed with him and there's a bear in there. And then <laughs> the chair is the Yeah. Yeah, the chair is And made him fair. And there's so many stories. And that's, that's, based, that's based on the ballad of Tam Lin from the child ballads. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, so the whole thing is wrote a song and it's just bawdy beer room ballad. Like, the bear, the bear, and the maiden fair. Like, it's just like exactly what that song would sound like. It was awesome. It's kind of, if any band was going to do that, it's the whole Yeah, it's a big And ballad. the same with the Reigns of Casimir that the National did. If any band was going to do that, it's going to be the National. Yeah. Are there any more songs in the Game of Thrones world that someone needs to cover? Apparently there are. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, Tim Barron would know more. Sure, Wilco. Th- those are the two mean ones. Okay. Mm. Those, are, those are the two big songs. Um, well, so what else do we have to talk about with Wet, Wet, Wet? I know you guys... Really <laughs> Move on! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have we conveyed just how crap they well, are yet? It's- there was a recent amazingly bad review of a Nine Inch Nails concert that was in the Associated Press, <laughs> and Tim Coyle has seen it because he's laughing, um, <laughs> and it had this golden quote. It was just like so bad it's funny kind of thing. The band's 90-minute set featured hard rock anthems, songs with techno influences, as well as groovy and eerie jams. Nine Inch Nails closed the night with a slow and smoky cover of Johnny Cash's Hurt, which oh. earned non-stop cheers from the crowd. Oh, wow. Look, I think uh, Hurt wasn't a big song for Nine Inch Nails, though. But it was. Well, okay, well, okay. It, it wasn't well, not a, as much as Johnny Cash's version. Like, the world knows Johnny Cash's version. Yeah, the world knows Johnny Cash's version. But the world but, like, also it's, knows it's a Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah. <laughs> this associated yeah. press report. <laughs> when, when, like, two days before an election, we understand how stupid the world is. Come on. <laughs> And let's face it, right now we're all in a bit of a world of hurt. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And I think, and I suspect that Tim Coyle is about to open his mouth and tell us about REM. Yeah. So, but <laughs> Marty Pello actually admitted that Wet Wet Wet's inspiration for recording the song was when they heard R.E.M. play it on their Unplugged, MTV Unplugged set. Uh, so when we were talking about the R.E.M. managed to inspire as much bad as they did good, the good being mostly what they themselves did, the bad being what everyone else did in <laughs> trying to imitate yeah, them. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, you can chalk this one up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God, I must have seen that in TV Unplugged because that was the one. That Mike was Mills one. sung it rather than Michael Stipe. But it was the one that they did when after Losing My Religion came out. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think Michael Stipe didn't wear a shirt for some reason. No, he wore a shirt. Oh. It's hard to tell well, what that means. Was it, was it even his own shirt? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, of, one of the things that reminds me of for some reason, like bringing it back to mm-mm, Mm, is that one J- my favorite one of JD's um, versions of like the the verses like with the new lyrics? There's one way she did. Once there was this stipe who wouldn't go and stipe with the stipes in the stipe room, and when <laughs> they finally stiped him, they found stipe marks all over his stipey, <laughs> etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She's like turned everything into stipe because it's just a funny word, stipe. And it sounds like a verb and a noun and lots mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the, the thing I was thinking listening to this was when I was 12 listening to this in 1994, I liked it. It was a good song. I don't think, I suspect you're probably not going to find anyone who's like, I fucking hate that song, apart from, like, old wise and punks, like, um, I don't know, like, Ross, Ross Cleland or Bill Gibson or something probably hate that song. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to hate that song. Or I Ross is not. Let's just name people who listen to the podcast to see if they actually listen. Ding, 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 ding. What case, what case, yeah? F minor. Shit. F minor? F minor. Shit key. Where's your... Very right. Very, very right. On the very top. I, it's F minor, uh, I, E flat, D flat, C. <laughs> F minor, E flat, D flat. You're hurting C. my ears. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I, I won't because then it'll. Anyway, it'll, it'll, it'll end up an egg, won't uh, it? The one of the conversations that you and I have had about Cam Crows is that as much as you, you don't like them, and, and, and I know that, but um, they've got. It's obvious that they listen to great music. Like, they're yes, really well influenced. They do. Like, the band, like, they've got a, one of my favourite Cannon Crow songs is a song from uh, a random record from, and it was the record that we were touring at that time called Hard Candy. And it was a song yeah, called yeah. Um, uh, Richard Manuel is Dead, and who, who's from the band, the, the band. And. Yeah. It, it, that that that's a lot like a drive by truck to stop anyway. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's in the style of it's got that yeah. band band feel, you know. And sure. that's one of you know. So the, the Dylan thing, the, the Van Morrison thing, and then this is the band and all, all that kind of stuff. And you know, for me, they kind of synthesize all those influences pretty well. But you know, for some, not so much. So I, I made a compilation once that I gave to lots of friends. I'm not sure if I ever gave you a copy called 13. It is 13 different versions of the song 13 by Big Star. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's an idea we've all had. <laughs> and it's the only time I've ever put Town and Crows on a mixed CD because they did a version. They did a version live and it was pretty good. Yeah. And on the greatest hits of the Cannon Crows, which I also bought because of my friendship with you, Casey Atkins, <laughs> uh, I thought I might give this a go. I'm getting blamed for all yeah, of you. Yeah, it was okay because they do a cover of. Why, why does I would do anything for love, but I won't do that <laughs> immediately? Come on. No, 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 no. I mean, it wasn't just Casey, but it was just like, you know, I, I was. I was but I'll spend a lot of money records and I'll buy this. But on The Greatest Hits, they do a cover of one of my favourite songs, which is Friend of the Devil by The Grateful Dead. Okay. So, you know, track two on... Um, not Big Yellow Taxi. <laughs> not Big Yellow Taxi, because that's terrible. But even the fact that they would cover that, like, it's a terrible version, but who covers that song? Who even knows who Joni Mitchell is anymore in this day and age, right? I mean, it's... She's Laura so Marley. Laura, yeah, I was about to say Laura Marley. <laughs> <laughs> they do have great taste. And, but that almost, for me, confirms their second-class status because right. the greatest rage I ever saw was by Emma Clear. <laughs> and the most confusing rage I ever saw was by Wilco. Yeah. You know, like, the bands that are truly great are beyond me and the bands that I love when they, when they tell me about songs that I love could have been me, yeah. really, to some degree. It's like, yeah, you're just talking about Bob Dylan. And by Morrison, the things that I know. Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Yao will never be Wilco, could have been Everclear. Did you get that? Could have been Everclear. It was about to be Everclear as well. Just like something. And, uh, I think Everclear aren't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing, the thing, the thing yeah. researching this this week is just how uh, the, 
Danny's opinion is by no means the minority opinion. I would say yeah. Danny's is the <laughs> dominant opinion of Counting Crows. The internet hates Counting Crows with a fiery passion. That um, it's almost a kind of creed level. Well, it, it is. And it's, it's kind of funny because it seems so out of disproportion with, with what this band is. Look, I, I really like this song and I really love the album. And look, I understand the people who don't like them, but the extent to which people will dump all over them and also make fun of and endure its weight and mental illness is <laughs> <laughs> kind of okay. That's a bit fucked up. <laughs> As a hater, I will say that if they maybe for some reason broke up or went to obscurity after uh, well, discovering the satellites, right? We get, we get that, that record, then maybe we wouldn't be in this place. Mm. But the fact that they carried on and then they did covers of Big Yellow Taxi and then they re recorded that with Vanessa Carlton just for a cover to do a film clip because it was in a film and all that sort of stuff and they were trying to get back into that mainstream. There was also the, the bizarre celebrity of Adam yeah. Harris, who began writing a very vulnerable song about um, about kind of not being able to talk to women and kind of <laughs> but, and went on to be one of the greatest pornomancers of the age. <laughs> but look, this could have been Crash Test Dummies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they didn't. Yeah. They had someone who, and I will admit this openly, more than Crash Test Dummies, a person with real charisma. Whether that charisma rubbed you the wrong way or not is sure. is thing. But Anderitz is a very interesting character, very striking looking man, right? And and I actually enjoy reading his interviews for the same reason that me and Casey just talked about, which is he will champion bands like Big Star and Limited Hands and The Grateful Dead, and he. He actually does that thing where it's goes, look, I know it's uncool to like Van Morrison or the Grateful Dead, but I still love him, and brings a new generation of fans into it. So he's actually a good guy in that. Uh, but he's a fan. I don't know. I don't think there needs to be a new generation of Grateful Dead fans. I think that's a you know, the, the point at which I realised that Michael Jackson was a bit weird was the point at which I saw the thing in the news about Jarvis Cocker wiggling his ass around um, during the performance of Earth Song at the Brit Awards in 1995. And it was like, you know, like those artists had so much, um, is it hubris, hubri, Tim Coyle, hubris. who know hubris. these things? Yeah. Hubris? It feels like it's like French word. You'd say hubris. Oh, it's Greek. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but they had so much hubris, um, hubris, 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 hubris. Um, but they. Do you want to say that line again? Clean edit. <laughs> this isn't a crusty the clown sort of vote. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they say of the Acropolis where the Parthenon is. Edit of one, find the one time you said it right and then cut it in. It's not going to happen. So. Um. Humorous, I thought I paid her $150 and asked her to leave. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Clean edit. Uh, Jarvis Cocker shaking his non-existent ass. And so that's it for 90% Bits. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we will resume our regular programming next week with another uh, five songs from 1995. 
Um, as usual, uh, you can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and Gmail to email us. Um, we are 90% hits with percent spelled out in words in all instances. And also, if you could go to uh, iTunes, if you get the podcast from iTunes, if you could rate us and leave a comment on iTunes, that'd be, uh, that'd be great as well. And we'll see you next week. And as always, um, if you know who killed Mary, let us know. train thought already i've barely even gotten onto the train and then i uh then i lost it <laughs> um mind the gap <laughs> <laughs>